passage is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22, and it's page 1079 in your Red Pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible of your own, it should be a Bible that looks like this somewhere nearby. If you want to hunt one of those up and turn to page 1079, again, it's 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. We'd like for everybody to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 22, page 1079 in your Red Pew Bibles. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have have tasted that the Lord is good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sarah. You may be seated. Just a reminder that we have these little forms like this over there on the table. If you're a young person, there's two different ones, one for younger kids, another one for older kids. But just a helpful little tool to help you uh, engage with the passage, engage with the sermon, and follow along. So we encourage you to Just make your way over there and get one of those, and there's some crayons and different things over there. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Father, I would ask that as we now prepare our hearts to come... And open ourselves and give attention to your word, your enduring word that lasts forever, that has the power to change us, the power to transform everything about us. Lord, the word that has spoken all of creation into existence, the word that became flesh in the person of Jesus, and the word that now brings new creation to our hearts, and to our world. We pray that you would open our hearts, that you would remove distractions, and that, Lord, you would set us free. Lord, come and be at work in our hearts through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, kids, a question for us to get us started here. Have you ever tried to change something about yourself or about your life? Maybe a habit, maybe, uh, uh, maybe you want to start something in your life. Yeah, you got one on, on your mind? Okay, you know you have, okay, yeah. I was like, hey, you got a good example for us. Well, I want you to kind of think about that as we walk through and we talk about that today is because we're going to talk about how we change. And you probably had this experience in life, I think we all have, that we've had things in our life that we want to change. 
And maybe you even get really excited about change. Maybe you purchase a couple products that help you to change. And then, you know, the Stairmaster holds your clothes in your bedroom kind of thing, you know? It's, change is hard. I remember whenever I was a kid, and I've, I've shared some of my story before, but whenever I was a kid, I was an overweight kid. Uh, I was made fun of a lot. I really carried a lot of shame because of that. And I always, I wanted to change my body. I wanted to get in shape. And one of the ways I did that is I used to read fitness magazines. Now, if you're a young person, you don't know what a magazine is. But a magazine used to be how you saw pictures and purchased products. Anyways, so I'd read these fitness magazines. And one day I open it up and I see this picture. Now, it wasn't a real picture. It was more like a rendering, like a drawing. And it was just a torso. And it was like, not a six-pack. It was like an 18-pack. I mean, just these abs. And the big heading over the top was, everyone has muscles like this. Can you see yours? And I, of course, answered immediately, no, I cannot. (laughs) But I want to. Really bad. And so all you had to do was call this little number and order this program. And so I'm like, boom, we're here. It's happening. I'm about to get those abs I've always wanted. And so I actually order this thing. And this, oh man, like I'm waiting. I feel like it was weeks. I'm waiting on this video to come that's going to tell me how to get the abs. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And finally it comes and I pop it in the VCR, you also don't know what that is, and I cut it on, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh no, it's like two hours worth of sit-ups every day, and I'm like, are you kidding? Like, that's what it takes? Like, I want the abs, but like, not that bad. I don't want to. I don't want to give up my ice cream, like. And you know, I tried to do the setups, and maybe it lasted a week, but finally, I just gave up, and I said, "Maybe I'm not going to get those abs. Never have." <laughs> but it's an illustration of what I think often happens spiritually in our life. Is that there's so many areas. If you're a follower of Jesus today, the, if the Holy Spirit is in you, there is a desire to grow. There's a desire to change. Now, that might be really dim because here's what often happens in the Christian life when we bump up against areas in our life that we want to change, that we want to grow in. Oftentimes, what we begin to find out really quick is that change is incredibly hard. So very hard. And maybe you've had some area of your life that you've tried to change. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a pattern in your life. Maybe it's a particular struggle. Maybe it's a just, I want to know how to read God's Word. I mean, it could be all kinds of different things. And you try. Maybe you've given it an effort. And maybe you've just become discouraged. And you think, "Ah, I don't know if I'm ever going to change. I don't know if I'm ever going to grow. Is change even possible? Here's what we're going to see in our passage. We're going to see a number of things. One, what is growth? What is growth in the Christian life? Spiritual growth. We're going to see a picture of what that is. Also, secondly, we're going to see how do we grow? How do we grow? And then thirdly, we're going to talk about what makes growth so hard. Okay, so first of all, what is growth? So as we come to our passage here, 
we see that really this passage is talking about spiritual growth. If you look at chapter 2, verse 2, look at what it says there. Second part of that verse says, so that you may grow up in your salvation. That is the theme of what he's talking about in the passage. He's talking about growth. Peter, as he's writing to his audience, first century believers undergoing persecution, we're talking in our series about what does it mean to be exiles in the world. Peter here is saying, listen, I'm calling on you to grow spiritually. Now that's important just to notice there is that because in the Bible Belt, oftentimes we can get this message that to become a, become a Christian is all about what you do at the beginning of the Christian life. So all the emphasis is put on getting saved. And so once you pray that prayer, once you walk that aisle, once you become a Christian, then you're good. You're just kind of sitting around and waiting to go to heaven. And so what you do in this life, well, maybe you should be a good person and try a little bit, but really... Christianity is all about getting that fire insurance. It's all about what happens after you die. But as we come to the scriptures, we see that actually when we become a Christian, it's only begun. The Christian life has only started. And the image, the metaphor that he's using here in the passage is that of a child. A child that is born, but then begins to grow and mature. Now, we know that reality. I mean... Sarah's about to have a baby. That little baby is going to be born. And their goal for that baby is that the baby would not remain a baby. These babies turn into human beings. Like full grown human beings that eat you out of house and home. It just happens. I'm living through it. It's my reality. But that is the goal. The goal is not for a baby to stay a baby. It's for them to grow into full maturity. This is the Christian life. We are called to grow. To mature in Christ. Now that is a process that begins when we first become a believer. But it does not end until we meet Jesus. So what do we see growth is as we look at the passage? Well, right off the bat in verse 22. The way that he describes growth is that it means to grow in love. That is the summary of spiritual growth. According to the scriptures. Look at what he says in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. So that you have sincere love for each other. Now what is Peter talking about here? Now obeying the truth. That is a phrase that for Peter means believing the gospel. Now you see that popping up a number of times in this letter. Where he will say, you have obeyed the gospel. What what does it mean to obey the gospel? It means to believe it. To give your life to it. To receive it. To bank your life on it. And Peter calls that obeying the gospel. To obey the gospel is to believe it. And so Peter is saying here, that having believed the gospel, you have been purified. When someone is united to Jesus in faith, when they come to Christ... They become purified by the blood of Jesus. But it does not stop there. As he says here, so that you have sincere love for your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That is the fruit of salvation. If you have become united to Christ, if he has come into your life, then you are going to begin to love 
live a life of love, but specifically love one another in the body of Christ. He says, this is the evidence. You have sincere love for each other, not just love in word, not just, a, you know, we're going to show up, have a little chit-chat and smile at each other and then go off to our life, but like a sincere love, like we're committed to loving each other. And for Peter, that is the evidence of salvation. That's the evidence that this new life has begun in you. But also it's something we have to be called further and deeper into. That's what he says in the next part of that sentence. Love one another deeply from the heart. What he's calling us to in this love is a deep kind of love. Spiritual growth is growing from a shallow love, a love that is only in theory or in your head or in your words, to a love that is embodied in our lives. Deeply from the heart. Now think about that for a minute. What kind of love is that? It's a love whereby in the body of Christ we are opening our lives to each other. We're letting ourselves be known and we're seeking to know one another. We're holding one another's hurts. We're holding one another's shame and sins. We're caring for each other. We're speaking the truth in love. We're committed to one another's growth and flourishing. Deep love from the heart is a radical kind of love that we're called to. And so spiritual growth is growing in that in the body of Christ. So we have to overcome a lot of things to love in that way. You've got to overcome our love for privacy. We've got to overcome our fear of being known. Our fear of the vulnerability of letting other people know you and letting them into your life. Many of us here today have been deeply hurt and wounded by other believers. And that is a reality. If you are going to seek to love deeply from the heart, you are going to experience hurt. You're going to be let down. And the greatest tendency when that happens in our life is just to shut down our hearts, to become cynical, and to distance ourselves. Many of us are walking through life in that very way. We've been hurt, and we have just vowed deeply to ourselves, I'm not going to be hurt again. But you see, this calling to love deeply from the heart is saying, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop pursuing others in Christ. I'm not going to stop opening my heart. I'm not going to stop trusting. I'm not going to stop opening myself. That is the kind of growth and maturity we're called to. Now it also involves taking off things. Growing in love and spiritually maturing involves taking off or ridding ourselves of what blocks love. And that's what he talks about in the first verse of chapter 2. Look again at what he says here. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. These are the things that belong to the old life and that still remain in our flesh. And these are the things that block our love of one another in the body of Christ. This is what blocks it. This is in our hearts. So we have to actively rid ourselves of these things. Of malice. What is malice? Well, it's when you're wishing the harm of another. What, what is uh, deceit? Deceit is pretending to be something we're not. That's what hypocrisy is as well. It's, it's wearing a mask among one another. It's pretending 
to be in a place that we're not. It's withholding who we really are or what we really feel or what we really think. To walk in deceit is an incredible temptation because it's a way of self-preservation. And it is not the way of love. It blocks real deep love from the heart. It's a barrier to it. Envy is wanting what belongs to one another, which leads to taking what belongs to one another. And slander is damaging the reputation of another. Now, nobody probably thinks they slander anybody. (laughs) We never think we slander one another. That is, with our words, tear another person down. But the reality is, we all do constantly. I mean, that is the basis of Facebook, right? It is a slander world. (laughs) It is an opportunity for envy and malice and slander and hypocrisy. I mean, how often do the images on Facebook match the reality in our own lives? Well, it's not just Facebook. I mean, gossip. Gossip is one of those things that's the easiest thing in the world to do. You know, you don't even know you're doing it, right? It's just a way of relating. Or one of the ways that we slander is by venting, you know? I find that often happening with me. How are you doing? Well, it's been really hard. You know, I'm just really struggling with this person in my life. And let me go ahead and slander them for you, okay? Because it makes me feel better. That's not love. That's not love. See, to love deeply from the heart is to take these things off and say, how can I give myself away for your flourishing? And so when we first hear the word love, we're like, oh, that's kind of easy. But you try it, you try to love. And what you understand really quick is this is so hard. So that brings up our second question. So growth is growing and maturing and deepening in love Of one another in the body of Christ. So the second question is. How do we grow? Where do we get the power to grow? And what we see. And this is really the focus of the passage. Where we get the power to grow. Is through the word of God. That is the focus of the passage. That actually it is the power of the word. That changes us. And that brings growth into our life. Now what's interesting that. Peter's doing in the passage here is he is uh, he is linking together two things. He is linking together the power of the word in our initial salvation and the power of the word in our growth. And he uses an image here, and I mentioned this earlier, but the image is of a baby, a baby that is born and then be- that begins to grow. And so. Peter wants us to see that the way that we are born spiritually is through the power of the word, but yet also the way that we grow is also through the power of the word. Very interesting. I actually said that earlier in the service, but I want you to see it here. I'm not just making it up. It's not one of my jingles. It's actually true. Look at what we see here. Verse 23, for you have been born again. Now you remember we saw that in chapter 1. This is a huge concept in the scriptures. That Christianity is not just a religion. Christianity is not like all the other belief systems of the world that are all about, hey, here's how you should live your life, and if you do that enough, then you get this reward. 
you can go to heaven or you can know God or you can, you know, actualize yourself or whatever. The formula is different, but it's the same in its basic essence. But Christianity is radically different. It says, no, no, you can never live up to something. It's not a lifestyle that results in something. It is actually something that has to happen to you. It is something that has to be given to you. It is by grace. It is the work of God. It is a supernatural work that makes a dead person come alive spiritually. And that is what is meant by describing salvation as being born again. We talked about this last week. How much involvement did you have in your birth? What led you to decide to choose the parents that are your parents? What made you decide where you would be born and all of these other things? It's a ridiculous question, right? Because we had no involvement. It happened to us. And that is the reality of salvation. You've got to be zapped by God. You've got to be born again. That is, you have to be born spiritually. Everyone is born physically. It's a contrast he's making here. Every one of us. We were born but not everyone is born spiritually. And that is a work of God, entirely of grace, that happens to us. But what Peter says here is that it actually happens. The, the power for our new birth is through God's Word. Tremendous thing to say about the Word of God. Again, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Now he's com contrasting physical birth and spiritual birth here. You know, in your physical birth, you were born because your father planted a seed. And from that you came. Well, you know what? You're born spiritually by your heavenly father. Planting the imperishable seed of God's word into your heart that creates new life. You see the contrast he's making there? You know, everyone's born physically and everyone is going to die. What it means to say perishable seed. Physical birth, 100% of the time, ends in physical death. <laughs> but spiritual birth never ends. It is enduring. It is forever. And he takes us back to Isaiah 40 here. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, here he's showing us the word of God has given us new birth and given us life. But look at the connection he makes in chapter 2, verse 2. It is also the way in which we grow spiritually. Verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it, what? The spiritual milk. So that by the spiritual milk, you may grow up in your salvation. Now, here's a pop quiz. How do we grow up in our salvation? Feeding on pure spiritual milk. The word, everybody's like, this is too obvious of a question. It's a trick, right? It's not a trick. It's obvious. I just want you to see it. We, he says it right here. The way we grow is through God's Word. And he's using an image here again of a newborn baby. Now, how does a newborn baby grow? Through its mother's milk. And that milk 
is the total nutrition that that baby needs to grow. If that baby is feeding on, feeding on milk, what's going to happen? He's going to grow. She's going to grow. She's going to get big. She's going to develop. Right? It's how it works. And so he's making that contrast to say, this is how we grow spiritually. But interestingly, he says, crave it like a newborn baby. Now think of that image for a minute. Now if you're a parent here, depending on how close you are to infants who scream in the middle of the night, y'all are going to be there very shortly, okay? This, this, this is going to take on new meaning for you. But how does a newborn baby crave its mother's milk? Like it's single-minded. Like it is desperate. I mean, probably every two hours at the beginning, that baby's going to be screaming because it wants more milk. It's like the definition of craving. So much so that you wake up in the middle of the night and you're stumbling around to make it stop. Right? He's saying, that's what I'm calling you to with God's word. This is how you're going to grow. He's not just saying, hey, read the Bible more and you'll grow. He's saying, crave it. Crave it that it would be your spiritual milk. That, that it would be your life. That it would be your joy. And as you're feeding on it, like a newborn baby, like continually tasting it, then you're going to grow spiritually. Now again, he's not just saying read the Bible more or that this automatically happens when you read the Bible. Some of us have read the Bible before and we're like, I don't get it. It's like reading the Bible is like going to the dentist. I know I should do it. If I don't do it, there's going to be problems down the road, but I'm not going to enjoy it. Is that your experience? If it is, you're not alone. You're not alone. Many of us, when we first come to the scriptures, we're like, what the heck do I do with this? I don't even know what it's talking about. That's okay. That's a great starting place. <laughs> Just don't bail on it. Right? But what makes it something that actually begins to create craving? What is it in which we come to God's word and we actually taste the goodness of the Lord in the scriptures. Here's what it is. It is when in reading the scriptures. You see the centrality of Jesus. In every word. It is the gospel word. That transforms us. It's even. He even says that in the passage here. In the verse that he quotes in Isaiah 40. In the context of that passage. He is telling Isaiah to go and to announce the good news that God is coming to bring salvation for his people and end the exile. And, Jer and uh, Isaiah saying, I don't even know how I can say this. We're in the middle of exile. Everything looks hopeless. Everything is a loss. I can't go speak good words to them. And God says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The word of the Lord stands forever. Go up on a mountain and shout the good news. It is the good news of God's coming to save his people. And then. In the second part of verse 25. Peter says this. And this is the word that was preached to you. Literally. It says this is the gospel that was preached to you. The word for preached is actually. Preach the gospel. Not just preach. This is the gospel. Peter's talking about the gospel here. The gospel is. The word of God. That as we crave it. As we feed upon it. It changes us. See, whenever we come to God's word, we've got to see on every word, 
every page, no matter if we're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, no matter what book we're in, that we see it as a part of the overall gospel story. That it is the good news that God is coming to redeem all things. That he is making all things new in the person of Jesus. That is how we read scripture and it actually becomes powerful and effective upon our hearts. We've got to see the gospel. We've got to see Jesus on every page. And as we do that, we begin to experience the Lord's goodness in his word. We begin to see his heart in the word. We begin to see that it is all fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And we begin to see that it means there is good news for us and good news for our world. As we begin to see all of Scripture in that context, we start to taste the goodness. We begin to crave it. The more, more we begin to crave it, the more we begin to feed upon it. That is how we grow. So here's kind of, we're going to move into a little application and discuss it in just a minute. But I just want to say this. Are you growing? Just throw some questions out there for you. Are you growing spiritually? Are you craving the pure spiritual milk of the gospel word? Is it a craving for you? Or are you just kind of going through the motions in life? Or are you changing? Are you seeing change happen in your life? Here's the bottom line. Change is hard. And the reason change is hard is because it always costs you. It's costly. Change is not automatic. Now, sometimes we can believe that in the Christian life because clearly change comes from God's work in us. It's not up to us. So sometimes we conclude, okay, well, that means I can just chill and God's going to do it. And that's so often how we do the Christian life. Like it's just going to automatically happen to me. But it doesn't. Growth always involves cost. It always involves effort. It always involves engaging with God. You know, some of us say, you know, I, I want to I read the word, but I don't know that I'm willing to give up all this other stuff in my life. I mean, I know many people who are like, you know, I've tried to read the Bible, but I just fall asleep. Or I've tried to read the Bible, but, you know, I read and forget what I've read. And I say, well, how long have you read? Well, you know, I read a couple times. Right? It takes, like, engagement. It takes giving up other things. People say, you know, I want to I be known. I want to be in community. But I want to be able to come and go when I want. You know, I want to grow spiritually. But, you know, if it's a nice day on a Sunday, I want to be able to go and enjoy the outdoors. Change always costs something. And for many of us, change is scary. Oftentimes, fear becomes a barrier to change. Because even though where we are, the status quo of where we are is not all that satisfying, sometimes it feels like bondage. Sometimes that feels a lot safer than the unknown of change, the unknown of freedom. And so we just, we stay where we are because as humans, we resist change. We're habitual creatures. We get stuck in patterns, and there's a deep resistance to change in our hearts. And so change, it, it always costs, just like me with that video. <laughs> I wanted the abs, but I wasn't willing to do what it would take to grow. And so my question that I just want to throw out for us is, where do you want to grow, and are you willing to pay the cost of change 
in your life? Are you willing to take responsibility for that in your life? You know, I think two questions. I want to give you two questions. We're going to discuss it in just a minute. But two questions that I think help us have clarity for these areas of our life. Because I bet many of us have areas of our life that we want to change or we want to grow. But we feel defeated in those areas and just don't feel like we have the desire enough to pay the cost for change. So here's just two questions that kind of bring clarity to what you really want. First question is, what is it costing you to remain unchanged in this area? What's it costing you? What is it cost, not just monetarily, though that might be a part of it, but what is it costing your relationships? What is it costing what you really want in life, what you really deeply desire? What is it costing the people in your life, maybe your family or your relationships, your spouse? What is it costing them? But then secondly, here's the second question. What could be different if you did change in this area? See, when we begin to get clarity in those areas, what it begins to do is increase the energy and the desire for change. So let me just stop there and give us some time to discuss this. So what's happening in you? Might need Corey or somebody man the mic here. Yeah, could you do that? Thank you. So what's stirring in you as you think about Barriers to change as you think about craving the Word of God. Let's hear from each other. Um, this is something I really struggle with a lot. Um, but like you were saying with uh, how much do we really want it, I think that there are a lot of places my head tells myself, oh, I want to change this. This is something I want to do. And I do it once or twice or sometimes even three times. And I'm like, wow, this is so good for me. Wow, I'm doing so good. But my heart is just like never really wants to do it. And yes. so I immediately fall off. I think it's very much of a heart thing. Yeah, um, totally. Like, for example, the one thing I have ever persisted with and changed was my art. I, I was not amazing at art. I wanted to get better at it. And I practiced a lot. And now I am decent-ish. I'm better at art. And I think that oftentimes I get very frustrated because I don't see a change immediately. And I easily fall off because I'm not noticing anything different. Yeah. Um, yeah. But looking back on my art, I can see, oh, I have changed. Even though it's been like a year or two, I have changed. Change does happen, even if we aren't seeing it immediately. Um, looking back, we can see it. And yeah. I don't know. Just yeah. wanted to share that. It, yeah. It's possible. It, it does happen. But it's very much of a hard yeah. mindset rather than a brain mindset. Yes. Thank you so much, LG. That's so right. I really identify with what you're saying. You know, for me, oftentimes, I will think about changing in an area, and I will think I've changed. Does that make sense? Like, oh, you know what? I'm, I want to change this in my life, and I'm going to change, and I could change easily, and I will change one day in this area. And that brings me, like, this temporary sense of, like, Oh, I've changed because I've thought about it. But I haven't changed. Man, I fall into that little technique all the time. It's just a way to avoid the real cost of changing. But what I'm often not seeing is the cost of not changing in my life. And that's what we got to get face to face with. Because we live in a lot of denial. 
I like to stick my head in the sand. You know, what is it costing me to not change? And it's a, you, you use a great example of, you know, the art. It took you time and energy and sacrifice and all these things. Apply that spiritually to your life. It requires incredible effort and engagement to change. But here's the thing. You can change. It's not up to you. You see that weird paradox we're in here? You don't change yourself. You can't change yourself. God is the heart changer. Glorious truth. But he does it as we engage with him. Yes? Uh, I would like to get to the point where I, uh, where God doesn't have to say, don't make me come down there, um, you know, where there's a crisis. And so then I grab a hold of his knees and I, you know, feel very close to him. But I'd like to get to the point where uh, I, I'm on more of an even keel of, of seeking him out on more of a regular basis and so that when a crisis comes, it's not as big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Julie. That's good. That's good. Hutch, in listening to your sermon, I think one of the connections that I made was like realizing the importance of community and change. Um, I think sometimes I don't feel the weight of maybe what might need to change in my life, yeah. but when I see it hurt people that I love, mm. it it makes me realize like, oh, that's a big deal. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, Gosh. I think living alone, sometimes it doesn't feel yeah. as big of a deal, but when you yeah. see how it impacts people mm. around you, then it makes Man. it kind of in your face. What a tremendous point, Megan. And I, I'm a person who very naturally likes to isolate. You know, I like to live in the shadows, and I'll come out and, you know, put on a face or whatever, but I, I, I like the comfort of being alone into myself. And what I've found is that I have, I'm a great self-swindler. I swindle myself, and I rationalize the things in my life. I rationalize my sin. I rationalize these areas that need to grow in my life. And so what I need is the ministry of the body of Christ in my life. I need to be in community close enough where people are seeing me and saying, hey, let's talk about this. You know, like, here's how this impacts the people around you. And all of a sudden, I start to come into the light. You know, I come out of deception, come out of hypocrisy. And I begin to say, oh, wait a minute. I think I've been deceived about where I'm really at. And that is a beautiful ministry. Now, we're afraid of that. We're afraid. We're afraid of being exposed. We kind of protect ourselves by living in the deception. You see, that is what the freedom of the gospel gives us. Jesus has taken our shame. You know, I'm a bit, one of the reasons I so avoid wanting to be seen or called out or whatever is because I just carry naturally so much shame. And so what that means is that the gospel is not touching those areas. Where if we're walking in the gospel, then we know Jesus has taken all of my shame. So you can come to me 
and tell me something that might be hard for me to hear, and I can handle it because Jesus has taken my shame. You see how the gospel really empowers us to be in community. But I know we're, we're scared of that kind of community because we can get hurt there. But we've, we've got to have the courage to go into it. That's what he means by love one another deeply. Like, go there. Have the kind of relationships where we can bring up things that our brother or sister might be blind to in a gentle way, in a loving way, in a humble way. But bring them up. Speak the truth in love. Say, have, let's talk about this. Like, I'm here for you. I'm going to walk with you, but I see this in your life. And the other person who's being spoken to be able to be like, you're right, you're right, but Jesus has got me so I can face it. That's a little snapshot of this thing, but it cannot happen apart from community. That's a tremendous point. I was uh, struck by the combination of the idea with the work and then the nourishment. Mm. You know, what, what, yeah. are you, what are you putting into your body? What are you nourishing yeah. yourself with? What are you, what are you craving? Mm. And what are you satisfying that craving with? Are you yes. satisfying that craving with something that's worldly or even poisonous? Mm. Or are you satisfying it with the Word of God? And seeing those put together <clears throat> in terms of your message and then also the passage mm. really, really struck me. I love that point, John. You know, some of us might read this and say, crave the Word of God? Like, how do you do that? Like, you know, when I read the Bible, it's pure duty. And I would say to that, don't give up, okay? But you're making a great point. Like, we all crave. It's, it's not a matter of, I have to whip up some craving. Like, we all crave. That's what it means to be human. We're, we're created to be worshipers. Worship is about craving. It's about chasing something. That's what craving is, chasing. We chase stuff all the time. But John, you're making a great point. When I'm chasing all kinds of other stuff, guess what I'm not going to be chasing? The pure spiritual milk of the gospel word. Just no taste for it. Right? So sometimes it means i got to remove some stuff if I'm going to crave this. And I think oftentimes, you know, we've talked about busyness in our culture. I think what we often want to do is add our Christianity onto an incredibly busy life. And what ends up happening is it won't fit, right? So we just, it just gives the leftovers just here and there. And so what you have to do that the Word of God would be your cravings, you have to reverse it. Like, okay, this becomes first, okay? We're going to take everything out. This goes in first, then we'll see what there's room for. That requires death. <laughs> Giving up things, well, we're not very good at that, right? We're good at adding things onto our life. We're not very good at taking things out of our life. And a lot of us are sitting here and we're so busy, there ain't no way we can read God's Word on a regular basis. Just no way. It's an impossibility. Because things would have to come out. There's no way you could commit to regular community. No way I can go to community group. Look at all this stuff. I'm so busy. Well, you're right. There's no way you can. Unless... Some other things come out. That's where it gets hard. That's the pain of change. That's the cost of change. But the thing to see is it's worth it. 
It is worth it. It is life. It is freedom. Might not feel like it now, but give it a shot. Right? Okay, good stuff. We're talking about change here. Let's keep this up. Let's talk about it in community groups. Let's talk about it in conversation. Because this, this is our business, that we are those who are seeking to change, seeking to grow into the image of Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this is hard because you know my heart. I, I just, I just want to stay where I'm at. I want to be comfortable. And yet, life is found in going deeper with you and going deeper with your people. And I just pray that by your grace, you would even stir this up in us. Help this not to just be words that we hear and we walk away and say, hey, nice message, see you next week. Let this be something we wrestle with and that we apply in our life. And let us be a people that are just like newborn babies, craving the pure spiritual milk of the gospel word, that through it we would grow in love. Work this in us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.